Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the That's Canon podcast. I am your co-host, Jack Auger. And with me is the other co-host. Yeah, we're equal, separate but equal co-hosts. Uh, Jacob. <laughs> and we are here to finally talk about the great Francis McDormand. Yeah. That's what we're going to do today. But before we get into Francis McDormand, we are going to talk about some news stuff. There's been, it's kind of been a busy week. Um, yeah. Well, so we're filming, we're recording this on Friday. We're going to drop it today. So there's been some movies that have come out today and yesterday. Technically, they premiered yesterday, but today is their official release date. There's been some news, people buying shit, merging shit. Uh, so let's talk about it. You're the boss. Let's do it. Um, we're equal bosses. I'm not a boss. I don't. I okay. Don't, I don't pay you. That's true. Um. <laughs> um. So so we last week we kind of talked about this Warner Media, HBO Max thing. And we talked about some stuff that we didn't really understand. And we were open about that. We were like, we don't really know what's happening, but let's talk about it. Um, I found out. So apparently, okay. apparently AT&T owns Discovery Plus. And so AT&T is just merging Warner Media with that. Kind of just wiping their hands. Like, they're just not going to... Um, directly be involved in Warner Media anymore. And Discovery Plus apparently is the largest um like television like or non-scripted television like holder. Like I guess it has the most non-scripted television stuff. And Warner Media is the is the largest um or network uh, Warner Media is the largest scripted television network. Mm, I see. So that merger makes it basically the largest media there you go. television like, network. Have you ever seen a, that gag about there's like a book that you can buy called Everything They Teach You at Harvard Business School and then one book is called Everything They Don't Teach You at Harvard Business School and it's like if you read both these books you'll know everything in the world. <laughs> it's like that. You get the biggest non-script and the biggest script and now you got the best channel ever. Right. I don't really watch TV. I haven't had cable since I was in high school um, and I've only ever really missed it for sports. Uh, I've never wanted to watch one of the litany of FBI cop CSI no, shows you. and uh, you know, whatever the TV that I do want to watch is game of Thrones type stuff. You know, the prestige yeah. one hour, you know, things like that scripted certainly. Um, and uh, yeah, that's the, the only, like I said, sports is really the only thing that I care about that comes on cable TV. So uh, I, I just like, I just like, don't care well, I th about TV stuff. I, that's, that's fair. I do think that, because of moves like this and like the creation of every, like all the TV networks, right. Are creating their own apps. So like, yeah. I think they're moving away from cable. Cause I was like, going to say, it, that's like the big problem is that like, now you're just gonna, it used to be that you could just get anything on Netflix and now uh, you're just going to have to subscribe to 10 streaming services, which, which I do 
probably against my better judgment, it's, but like it, it probably is better than cable because you do have a little bit more control and you don't have to subscribe to certain things. But ex- exactly, yeah, I but, don't know. But but I don't use it really to watch TV. I use it to get all the movies. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. But but like, there's some shows that you know, like I like. I bet I've recently been watching The Handmaid's Tale. Been going okay. through that for the first time. Very intense. I I love it. Yeah, like I, it is, uh, I it's really I know good. that I'm late to the game here. Yeah, <laughs> by we watched four years, that but... when it was premiering, and yeah, no, it's it's pretty hardcore. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, like I like that. I like that kind of stuff. And, and Netflix has some good shows. And I've been watching The Crown. I've been I've discussed oh, yeah, that yeah. a little bit. Have you? Speaking of, uh, just because we're talking about shows, have you seen Castle Rock? No, dude. You should watch Castle Rock. Okay. You should watch Castle Rock. It's it's um it's set in the Stephen King universe. Mm, interesting. So, okay. and I know that you're like anti universes, but it, I mean, this is like books. Like okay. this is like it's and it's. I think that it's kind of the television series is kind of based on a series of like loosely based on on different short stories of mm, okay. Stephen King's. Um, and do all I, of his books exist in the same universe? Like is it and misery? I don't, in the same thing. I don't think that they technically, I, I, I don't know. I've been, I, ha- I haven't read a ton of Stephen King. Okay. Um, so I, so I really, I don't know. Um, what I do know is that they're all set in Maine for like the most part. <laughs> like, right. Okay. So I think that it's not like too difficult to, pretend as if it's all happening in the same stuff like like they the first episode of castle rock they go to shawshank and like they're you're there's and it has nothing to do with the shawshank redemption or anything they just mention shawshank in prison and so it's like it's like stuff like that there's like just little nods to this but this but the show itself i've actually i guess there's two seasons i've only seen the first season the first season was fantastic okay really dark really interesting kind of like what's the who's the guy that why he's like a science fiction guy um l ron hubbard no (laughs) no uh nick cage did a movie of his or like a based on one of this guy's books um called uh the the color cthulhu guy no. H.P. Lovecraft? Yes, that's who I'm thinking of. It's kind of like Stephen King meets H.P. Lovecraft. Interesting. Because like, there's that is like the Cthulhu guy, by the way. Okay, cool. Um it's the it's kind of like it's dark but mystical. Kind of like it's it's cool. Interesting, okay. It's cool. And I've been meaning to watch the second. Once I finish the Handmaid's Tale, I'm gonna watch the second season. But. Well that shit's cool. I always liked that, you know, satanic summoner yeah, yeah. demon <laughs> type thing. Dude, me too. I'm yeah. a big any t- anytime Satan's involved, even loosely, yeah, big fan, yeah, big fan. I like demons and you know, like gargoyles and oh, gothic shit. stuff. Fuck yeah, yeah. okay. So you'll, you'll love Castle Rock, though. okay? Um, so yeah, so so that's I don't know how we got on to talking about TV shows. I guess we were, we're just talking, talking about, about TV yeah. in general, yeah. <laughs> or just yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, other big news: Dave Filoni, um at Lucasfilm got promoted to the executive creative director, which as a big star Wars fan, this is like the move that I've been wishing would happen for okay. the last like fucking, I mean, forever. There you um, go. So we are 25 minutes in. There you go. Let's well, but we're also going to cut out some, we, we had a really nice incel joke, a really nice ISIS joke that you're not going to get to hear, but that's true. 
That's true. So maybe a little less than 25. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. Um, let's talk about Francis McDormand. Let's do it. Okay. So we watched last, last time we watched Nomadland for the Oscars. We where did. She won best actress. Um, and that, and then I like kind of looked at some of the other awards she's won. She won best actress three times. Um, and she's been nominated for best supporting actress, I think three times as well. Um, which is kind of, that's good. That is among the most ever. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a good, you know, little slate there. Yes. So we were originally going to watch Fargo, which she, which she did. We, I mean, we did watch Fargo, but she won best actress for the first time. And then a couple years ago, she won best actress for three billboard, uh, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. And then I was like, but you know what I really want to do? I want to watch almost famous because I forgot she was in that because I just hadn't seen it in so long. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I love that movie and, and Patrick of the, you guys are getting paid pod. It's his favorite movie of all time. Um, so sorry, Patrick, I didn't like it that much. <laughs> so, I already told him he was like, okay. God damn it. <laughs> sorry, buddy. He's, he's upset that, uh, but it's, you know, it's all right. Go listen to you guys are getting paid pod. Um, and, so, yeah, so, so I was like, let's watch Almost Famous. And, you know, she's been in tons of Coen Brothers movies. Yeah. She was in Fargo. She was in Raising Arizona. She's in Barton Fink, which I haven't seen, but we're going to watch. Yes. She was in Hail Caesar. I mean, tons of them. Tons of them. And Frequent collaborators. Yeah, and she's she's like a really... She has some range. Like, yeah. Because I would say... She's one of the best parts of Nomadland, which is a movie I didn't particularly care for that much. Yeah. But, like, I think she was great in that. Yeah. And then, you know, you see something like Fargo. She's unbelievable in Fargo. Fargo is so fucking funny. Yeah. And, and like, also a serious, like, good movie. Yeah. Like, it's... And, and then... 100 minutes. Yeah. That's what I'm saying, man. Well, oh. Give me the absolute best stuff, and then just... Feed it into my veins. I don't need it to be three hours long. So I want hundred minutes. I want to introduce a new segment to the show. Okay. Okay. Well, because I haven't heard about this, so I might I might veto this, but let's see where this goes. I you have mostly argued that movies should be under ninety minutes or ninety minutes, but there have been some times where you've been like, "This was a two and a half hour movie that." Like in Citizen Kane, you said you wish it was longer. And, and like sometimes you're like, this is acceptable. So I want to do an over under okay. 100 minute. And then like for every movie we watch, you tell me if it needed to be shorter or if, or if it was okay that it was longer. Or, or if it's a shorter okay. movie, say it's a 90 minute movie. And you're like, I wish this, like, like Fargo, Fargo, honestly, I mean, I think it was what, it was a little under 100 minutes, I think. Yeah. Was, but, that's a movie that, like, I feel like that could have kept going. Like, okay. like, not that it needs to. I don't think it needs to. But, like, it was so fucking funny. Well, that, that's like, a show. I, like, yeah. I don't know if you've seen it. I, I didn't know it's a show, I kn- but I, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it either. My parents But, like, William H. It. Macy and, like, Franceman, they're not in it, right? No, like, no. Yeah. It's just, it's in, as they say, the universe. Right. But But, like, that, but, like, that show, or that movie... Is so fucking funny. Yeah, like that's that, I I felt like every scene when it left that scene, I was like, oh no, give me more. Like just yeah. give me more. I just want like I 
I think that that movie is fucking brilliant. Um, I liked it quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm saying it is perfect at 90. It's perfect there. Yeah. But like, honestly, I could watch that movie. I could watch it once and put it back on and watch yeah, it again. No. So like, would it have, be, could it be better if it was longer or not necessarily better, but would it be fine if it was longer? I mean, I think they nailed it. I liked what it had. I, the, the reason I wanted Citizen Kane to be longer is because I felt as though there were things that could have been flushed out better. And I think that they hit the points they needed to hit and then they moved on. I don't think there was anything where I said, I wish that this was more fleshed out. Um, I say that there's one. You're talking about Citizen Kane. Fargo. Oh, oh, you wish Fargo was more fleshed out. No, no, no. I don't wish that with one sort of exception. Okay. That I think could have been a little bit more, but, but that's really it. That's like, it's, it's like basically one scene that I, I would have liked to have seen well, what scene is expanded it? upon. It's the scene where she goes to dinner with her high school classmate. Oh yeah. That was so funny. Though. <laughs> it's a great, it's a great scene, but I think, and I, and I think I understand the idea of why it is in the movie. And I just, and maybe I'm just someone who, who would likes for things to be more connected and, and to not have to assume what's going on. Um, but basically I, th- the, the way that I interpreted that scene is that like, so, wow, you just knocked back like an entire Starbucks drink. <laughs> just, just like, I was like, why are you stop talking? Sorry. Yeah. I was, I was transfixed. That was a, that was a solid chug. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they got to get that caffeine in. I, yeah, no, clearly. I mean, like you had been sipping it and then I guess you just got sick of doing that. And you just, I'm just, whatever. I'm just, we'll just, just do the whole thing. I, um, you know, uh, we'll peel back the curtain a little bit here as they say, yeah. uh, we were supposed to record at 11 AM. I was still asleep. Jacob walked into the room Yeah, and I was I'm like, ready oh, to go. I was like, Oh fuck. <laughs> like I didn't even know we were, we were, it was this late. Um, so, Fortunately, he didn't have anything to do, and I was like, "Let's get some Starbucks. Let's and, get some some bucks." And so, you know, your boy has to wake up. That's okay, but you know, we're good. We're good now. I'm energized. I've chugged a drink. Yes. Well, let's go. Let's do it. Yes. So sorry, sorry to cut you off. Oh, oh, the the dinner scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, the way that I interpreted that is that I think that Francis McDormand's character Margie is pretty objectively, I think, just like a good person yeah and i think part of her shtick is a is that she like and like complete it's not an act she she sees the best in other people when it's not there it's minnesota nice yes that's i mean that's the yeah people of the midwest are stereotyped yeah and as being just very loving and outwardly nice and it's it's like it's like southern hospitality but like the cold version. Yes. Is in and and while maybe that's not I mean, I lived in the Midwest. It's not true. Yeah. Some people are like that, but it I mean it But so, it's called Minnesota Nice. Yes. Although yeah. everybody I know from Minnesota, which is a handful of people, they're all very nice. So that's uh my family's from Minnesota. Okay. My dad's parents lived in minnesota for a long time are they nice your dad's super nice yes i would say that they're nice well there you go and uh they uh the thing is so and it's all nordic people i'm uh i'm of nordic descent you see yeah so yeah so those me too yeah those are my people yeah our people i should say our our people yes but yeah my family came from minnesota and eventually landed in florida for the uh 
the there's military bases down here and that's how anyway and i have my fucking family history uh <laughs> but so the, that scene to me the the point is that the her high school classmate is mentally ill and puts her in a situation that she doesn't expect to be in because she assumed that he's just a normal guy and a nice and a nice person like her and so i think that she misunderstood how she could be sort of taken advantage of because she's so nice and then i think that and like this is more implied than stated and, and like i said and, and maybe it's asking too much to ask it to be explicitly stated and then i think that leads her to to question william h macy because i see the two characters as foils in terms of the minnesota nice thing in terms of her being actually nice and him just doing the nice routine but his intentions are bad yeah so and I think that what you're talking about the both William H Macy and the high school guy, or I'm saying that William H Macy is acts and speaks the same way as Francis McDormand, but isn't nice. He masks his true intentions with Minnesota nice, whereas Francis McDormand is actually right. nice. No, no, no. He's I, actually I, a good person. I think that like they're meant to be contrasted, but I think sure. that that interaction clues her in to the idea that there are people who appear to be normal and then once you sort of peel back the layer a little bit then it becomes clear that that's not really true and so i think that that's the point of that scene is that like it makes her it puts that on her radar and so then she revisits william h macy who then of course incriminates himself because uh yeah he's just so stupid <laughs> yeah and uh so i like i said and but i a lot of that is implied and at the time i had to think about it kind of a lot to work out why how, how does this connect at the time so i like i said that was the only scene i could have seen expanded upon but other than that man this movie was a banger yeah, I so I've now seen it twice. I saw it once, probably about eight months ago, for the first time, mm -hmm. and uh, and I was kind of watching, you know, going on a Coen Brothers kick last summer, and uh, and I was because I because I had only seen The Big Lebowski and No Country for Old Men. I had never seen any other movies by them, and I was like, or well, I had seen part of Raising Arizona once. I was like, these are like every movie they made is really good that I've seen, so I should dig into it and i watched fargo and like i and i and i knew it was like a like a crime movie yeah and so i went into it with like this expectation that it was like no country for old men which is like more serious of course yeah, you've seen that right i haven't seen it you haven't oh okay no. well then i won't i'm excited for yes. it, though. Yeah. so we're, we're gonna watch it next week mm -hmm. for the coen brothers pod but 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 no country for old men is more serious like it's more it's not completely serious you know it has its jokes and stuff but but i was expecting it to be like a gritty crime murder thing right. <laughs> like it, yeah i and knew not it was, like a comedy yeah. yeah and so i put it on and i feel like if i put something on and i'm expecting it to be one genre and then it's something basically else. something yeah. else entirely i feel like that has mostly not that mostly throws me off and like, yeah. I like need to come back to it. Like mm -hmm. with the right mindset with this though, I was like, Holy shit. This yeah. is, this is amazing. And like the, you texted me, you're like, these accents are great. Like the, yeah. they're perfect. Like it's like, it's, I've, uh, I've been to Fargo and it, they really talk like that. No. Yeah. My, it's, um, it's a little, it's turned up to 10 here, but they, yeah, they, like I said, that, that really is what they sound like. My, my aunt is from Minnesota and she says like, 
like instead of bag, she'll say like big, big, and yeah. like and like flag. And so like we're watching like football, and she'll be like, "Throw the flag!" <laughs> like, like, I love it. That's so good. I love you, Aunt Karen. But uh, but yeah, it's um, it's so funny. And like I'll just be like, "Hey, like beg is an entirely different word. Yeah. Like it's got its own. It's in the dictionary. <laughs> like it's beg and bag are two different yeah. things." Um. But yeah, it's so it's it's the accents are, you know, turned up to ten. But they're I mean they're they're great. Great, yeah. Uh, you betcha. Great. Love yeah. it. Love oh, it. Don't you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. And William H Macy plays a great desperate guy. He is have, awesome. Have you yeah. seen Shameless? Do you watch Shameless? Uh, I've seen episodes here and there. Well, he plays a desperate guy in that, yeah. and he this is like a desperate guy that's trying to be nice like yeah. like all the time he's less of like an outward asshole yeah but it's he does it great he's he in and it's in like the way that the story is kind of unfolded with like steve buscemi and the other guy i forget yeah I he has a weird name. name i don't and i yeah. and i don't know that it's ever even spoken but once or two times yeah yeah but but like them like their escapade to get there um like it was it was all just it was just like it was intense it was suspenseful yeah it didn't feel like incredibly predictable like in my opinion i didn't think that it was like yeah i didn't see that coming any yeah yeah. i didn't see it coming at all what was gonna happen yeah so like i mean i guess i sort of saw coming that it would all wrap up implode and not work but yeah exactly that's what i meant like it's like like structurally i understand where it was going but like you know i just there were lots of twists (laughs) there's lots of like but like the thing that steve buscemi getting shot in the fucking face and then just being like whatever what yeah like fucking let me out of this parking garage (laughs) because the the thing and i the con brothers do this a lot this movie is like what if the dumbest guy you know tried to do a million dollars? Yeah, just a complete moron. Because like, so the the like the very first scene in the movie is when um, you have Steve Buscemi and his partner talking to William H Macy about what he wants, this crime he wants to do, or he wants to extort his father-in-law, and Steve Buscemi correctly points out just ask him for the money you don't have to pay me to kidnap the daughter to then extort him in this plot just ask him for the money right (laughs) of course it doesn't make any sense it's so stupid that you would do this (laughs) it's so stupid and uh and and he's too embarrassed to to do it but it make it kind of makes sense i mean sort of it makes sense in the sense that his father-in-law hates him if he asked him for the money he would be like, no. I mean, his father-in-law think, thinks he's adult, and that actually comes back because he won't let him handle the hostage negotiation because he thinks he's too stupid. <laughs> and, and he wouldn't let him, uh, well, he was like, what kind of fighter's speed do you want for this deal you oh, brought me? Was... And he's like, oh, I thought this was my deal. Which is so yeah. so, so yeah. dumb. Of course, like, that's the thing. He's, he's an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he's like, okay, well, can you give me at least some collateral so that you can do the deal? And he's like, I give you my word. No, mm. moron. No. <laughs> and we already know that he's in a terrible businessman because he's $40,000 in debt for some unknown thing. I, that's, I was thinking, like, could he just ask for a finder's fee of $40,000? Uh, is that too much to ask? If it's a million-dollar deal or whatever, it, I mean, 40000 is not that much. That's oh, yeah, under that, 10%, I, is it? 
Yeah, uh, yeah, ten percent would be a hundred thousand. So. Yeah, so there you go. I was that's what I was thinking. Right? That's I, don't, 4%. I don't know. I don't know what a finder's fee is. But, <laughs> I don't I mean, know either. That was my thought. I was like the whole time. I was like, that's right? four, four points, as they would say in yeah. the in the in the biz. And given that he's, I think, I assume that your father-in-law would be inclined to help you out a little bit. That was my thought. I mean, I guess. So this is what this is kind of how I have broken down William H Macy's relationship in in with his wife and kid, um, and I could be completely wrong, but this is how I would interpret it. His father in law genuinely hates him and thinks he's an idiot, and so if they were ever struggling for money, if they ever needed money, I feel like he would never give William H Mason the money. He would always just give his wife whatever his. Like, he's like, I'm going to provide for my daughter. Like, and that's it. And I'll give her what she needs. And that's it. And for their kid, for the grandkid. But, like, I would imagine that given how that, the distaste, that he would never do anything that would, like, certainly never solely benefit William H. Macy, but, like, probably try to do as little as possible to help him in any way, but still make sure his wife is perfectly taken care of. I think that it's hard to, like thread that line and i think that him being in debt is going to always impact her no matter what and one of the things is that the movie never tells you what his issue is no yeah so it's impossible to say um but i mean this guy had a million dollars to just throw away so to it, so to ask for forty thousand dollars to this guy's is nothing if right. you have a million dollars of disposable cash or you can put out a loan i don't know like what his financial situation is you can he has enough assets that he can get that immediately a million dollars cash yeah then you can get forty thousand and be fine so like no i agree so I agree. And, yeah, this he, comes back to the to the conversation of just rich people yeah shouldn't exist right and it's irresponsible and immoral think, to have and I, millions I, of dollars i think william h macy i think is just embarrassed that was the sense that i got was that he was just too embarrassed to ask and, I, and the other thing is that william there's a scene where his the the uh, father-in-law reveals that he thinks he's an a, adult and william h macy's like completely taken aback so i don't even think that he really knows that his father-in-law thinks he's a moron i think i think that i think that he's like I, I don't think that like they hate each other i think that like william h macy's just too stupid to know that he's stupid <laughs> that's fair that's that was like the way that i looked at it was that like he is an idiot who do, who thinks he's really smart, and that's how he comes up with these stupid schemes and gets himself into trouble. Fair enough, I and, can see that. And that he just doesn't know that he's an idiot, and that everyone thinks he's an idiot. <laughs> Damn, because that's I mean, like I, 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 you've convinced me. I, I get that. Okay, I can, I can see, I can see that. Because uh, like everything he does is not just stupid; it's like stupid immediately. Like right. it's, it's immediately clear that none of it will work. Another great example is he works at the car dealership and he gives them a free car. And immediately the first question that they ask him is what happened to the car? And he just is like, uh, it's huh? here. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, are you sure you're not missing a car? He's like, definitely not missing nope, a car. No, he's Did just it. lying. Yeah. They and just work out immediately and it's immediately traced back to him. Just right. like seconds. Well, well then when they're the like, movie. why don't you go check? That he drives away. He just he just <laughs> leaves. Yeah, of course, the most like conspicuous thing you can do. Yeah, but this this was like, I mean, it was shockingly brilliant. I yeah. I, I guess I I don't know why I'm shocked. I don't. I really don't because I think the Big Lebowski, the Big Lebowski, I, I I genuinely think is a perfect movie. Okay, I love it. 
Um, you, you've seen that, right? I haven't seen it. Really? I know. So, yeah. so when we do the Coen Brothers episode, you're going to not know. You're going in. Totally like, fresh. So what yeah. Coen Brothers have you seen? I've seen Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? I've seen. True, that's, that's why you didn't want to watch it. True Grit. Yeah. I've seen. I haven't seen True Grit. True Grit's quite good. It's a, that's a remake. And they're doing a, a remake of Hamlet or make, I mean remake to the extent that you can even call it that. Let me look up the Coen brothers. Let me see what their filmography. Have you seen raising Arizona? No, dude, I fuck. We got to come back to the Coen yeah, brothers. No, so just sure. watching, just watching these three movies. Isn't going to be isn't enough. enough. Four, four with no, Fargo. Definitely. And I, I, I definitely didn't just watch them all. Yeah. That's all I've seen. Oh, brother, right though. And, uh, and true grit. Wow. Oh, and burn after reading. I, okay, so I haven't seen True Grit or Burn After Reading. Okay, but I have. I've seen Raising Arizona, the fucking their first movie, Blood Simple, fantastic. Yeah, and Francis McDormand is fantastic in it. Yeah, <laughs> like it's a. Uh, I think that was also her first movie. Interesting. Um, start yeah. off with a bang. Look, yeah, and that's and that's like a more. God, I'm okay. I'm so excited now. I've liked I'm, everything I'm, that I've seen from them. Yeah, I'm excited too. The only, the only, uh. The only one that I've seen from them that I have disliked and like straight up disliked it was uh, this movie called Intolerable Cruelty, okay. which has uh, George Clooney and I forget the main girl in it. Yeah, but it's like it's like Renee Zellweger. Or something. I, I think it is Renee Zellweger, okay. but it's um, but th- yeah, that that was the ter- that was a bad movie. It was like not good, but it was okay. But it came in between like. It was like the movie that they did right after they did Fargo, Big Lebowski, and Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Three in a row. Yeah, like just banger, banger, after, banger. After and another. then the next one was Intolerable Cruelty. And I was like, oh, well, like, they were on a roll. And then I was like, let's watch this. It was on HBO Max. It's got George Clooney in it. You know, like, he's good. And I was like, this sucks. Yeah, this I don't so really bad. know. It's, it's weird because it, I don't really feel like it's their type of movie, the, the type of thing that they do. It, yeah, it was like a rom com yeah. kind of thing. And, and like, they've made. They have made rom- like I would say Raising Arizona is a rom com, but it's like more than that. I don't know. It's it's yeah. it's, it's, it's God. I'm so excited for this episode. Now. Yeah, I, I was yeah. less excited because I had seen The Big Lebowski and No Country for Old Men fairly recently, and I was like, oh, like I don't know. But I didn't know you've never seen them. Yeah. Oh man, I had The Big Lebowski. We should just watch that. Okay. Oh man. Okay, but Fargo. <laughs> sure. So Fargo. So. Fargo's great, banger, trying, banger, awesome. funny. So Steve Buscemi's fantastic. Who's your Who's your favorite character in the whole thing? Uh, Marge, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Francis McDormand, but they're all great. Steve Mc, Steve Buscemi's villain is uh, is great. I love him as the like talkative guy juxtaposed with oh the my god that silent so, guy. That dynamic is so good, so funny, and uh, I I enjoyed that a lot. Um, I mean, like, there's nothing that I disliked in the whole movie. I think it's just bangers front to back. It's it's like the most aggressively Midwestern movie probably oh, ever. Of, of course. It I is, mean, it's making fun of that. So, yeah. I, I read an interesting thing. Okay. So, you know how the movie says that, like, at the beginning, that it was based on a true story? I read a little bit about this as well. Yeah. yeah. And which is basically not true. Yeah. It yeah. wasn't. Which is interesting. Yeah. yeah it's, it was not at all based on a true story. Yeah. And uh, the Coens have come out and said, like, as of as recent as four years ago, that they're like, oh, yeah, it's nothing. Yeah. Like, there was a series of murders that people have suspected. Sort of it, similar. Yeah. yeah. But um, 
but like, I mean, there wasn't even really a murder. In yeah. it. Well, actually, that's not true. There were there was a murder. It wasn't the wife that got murdered. But yeah, I mean, it was. So so let me let's play a game. Let's play a game. Let's play a game. You are you're Jacob, but am... but you're also a criminal. <laughs> okay. And you're hiring Steve Buscemi and his guy to do a job for you. And you have to. Like, you're, you're, sure. you Committed for whatever for, reason okay. are like, this is, I'm doing this. What are you hiring them to do? Interesting. So, I mean, they're morons too, right? The reason that the, the entire. They're the smartest morons, though. I think of all of the morons in this movie, I think they're the smartest. It's possible, yeah. I don't even... I hadn't considered it. I mean, they're up against some pretty stiff moron competition. <laughs> but the the entire... They get pulled over by the cops with the girl in the back seat because they forgot to put plates on the car. You know, they had the temporary plates but, from the dealer because he is the dealer. Uh, was there temporary plates on it? No, that's why they got pulled over. Yeah, that's why I said, like, like I see, I would have put that not on them. I would have put that on William H. Macy. Well, I've been like, this is his fault. Okay. I, I think that if it's their car, they probably should have at least thought about it. But regardless as to whose has fault it is. Um, I mean, the thing that I think that really they're good at is, like, muscle, mostly. So if it's me, I send them to, like, shoot up some sort of rival gang boss. And then if they die, they die. That's, that's sort of, that's sort of, you know, I wouldn't have them think about things too much. That's, that's what I have them do. Some sort of armed security type. I mean, actually security is probably bad because they would go in guns blazing to any situation. <laughs> yeah, no, I would just have them like hitman type stuff. If, if I were a mob boss or whatever, hitman, okay. That kind of thing. Cause I don't, honestly, I, I think they're so quick on the trigger. And, and the other guy just gets irritated with the girl and <laughs> kills her too. The ransom, you can't get a ransom from a dead girl. That's the whole point. So, and he just gets mad at her because she's crying. And I mean, of course she's going to cry. You kidnapped her and <laughs> brought her into the woods. So yeah, that's what it would be. I go kill someone, just go kill people until you get shot in the head. Uh, I, I, <laughs> so I think that they're bad at that. I would say that okay. I, I think they'd get caught. I think they got, but it caught. doesn't matter to me if they get caught, right? Whatever. If I need a guy dead and you die also, or you get caught, I don't care. I guess that's fair. <laughs> if, if I'm trying to keep them alive, cause I want them to do multiple things for me. Okay. This is what I have them do. I want them. They're good at breaking the houses. Go steal shit, steal shit for me. Okay. You know, like they can stake out and know when people are home or not. You know, they broke into the house where the woman was because they were kidnapping the woman. Yeah. You know, but like nobody else, they got away with kidnapping the woman. Nobody, nobody saw them, you know, whatever. It wasn't until they killed a police officer that, you know, set the events in motion. Exactly. Yeah. Like that, that was what, and then a guy drove by and then, you know, my boy popped a Yui and went and killed those guys. But yeah, I uh, fucking rob houses, rob, rob jewel, get their, get their necklaces, their jewelry, Home Alone style. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There you go. So, any other thoughts on Fargo? Yeah. Well, I do want to talk about Frances McDormand and her oh. performance and her character. Yeah. So, she plays Margie, who's a police chief. One of the things that I think is important about this character. So, Coen Brothers characters tend to kind of be, as we talked about, kind of morons who there's a guy I follow on Letterboxd and he, he, the way he describes it is like morons who doom themselves to hell and never understand why. And that's, 
you know, that that's like a lot of this movie to a T is that just people just making mistakes constantly left and right. And her character is competent. She, I actually watching the movie, she comes upon the crime scene and then the other crime scene. And then she perfectly spells out exactly, exactly what happens. Yep. And I honestly wondered, I was like, how is there an hour left? She already, she already figured the whole thing out. <laughs> and so her character is competent by the book, does the basic police work exactly the way that you're supposed to do and immediately works out the crime. And I think that that's something that really matters is that she is, is not, like I said, she's not just competent, but, or rather she's not just nice and kind hearted. She is smart, smart and competent. Yes. And good at her job. And the, and the other police officer had, incorrectly yes like like, like DLR, she shows up, yeah yeah she, she works up. out immediately i don't know about <laughs> i don't know about your police work there lou <laughs> so so good <laughs> do your grandparents talk like that um no not really oh yeah <laughs> that's that, that's upsetting. which would be funny yeah. yeah but yeah i i i thought that that but but as i was thinking about that i don't think that that police officer was like far off yeah you know? it's not like, terrible that's, that's like but that's the thing right it's, it's not he's average police. he's not yeah. incompetent he's not stupid right but again she's just really smart really good yeah. that's why she's the chief yeah 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 well yeah I, I she was she was amazing yeah she, she was, was so good funny so funny she yeah never, like there was never a point in time that i like didn't believe it right yeah. you know like i think that that's kind of an important thing about acting obviously is like, you know, like you want to believe the character yeah. is there and should be there and whatever and, is and is that person. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and Frances McDormand and everything I've seen her in, yeah. she has like embodied it perfectly. Yeah. Like I like and, becomes, it. I don't know if she's a method actor, but that's like a type of thing that I associate with method acting. This idea that like you are that person and like, like, her as the that police officer like i said it's just so so perfect yeah her performance is unbelievable and she won she won an oscar for it she, that she won she yeah. won that was her i don't know who oscar. she was up against but that was uh i mean I, her performance I looked it up, is unreal I, I actually didn't recognize the people she was up against okay um for most of them maybe actually you know what maybe i think that was for best supporting actress for almost famous uh, but but yeah i mean she she killed it she was yeah she was unbelievable in the role and uh you know i just i just felt like if she's the the sort of theme of the podcast that we should we should address that and uh she's great she was great these she was the uh the star i really really think that she just did a great job accent perfect the minnesota nice thing perfect the vibe the midwest perfect yeah i thought she was just so so good so and William H Macy also fantastic similar like I said because he he his is a little bit of a different character given that he has to be Minnesota nice but not really right so he did a great job with that as well I uh I read about him and he apparently campaigned really hard to get the role and said I'm I am a midwestern guy that is my upbringing that's where I'm from and I I will do this justice and and I I think that that was a bet on himself that paid off because I think he was correct and he was he was really really good for sure and and I think that well cast and and I think you know I mean I I'm I am not a midwestern guy I spent one year in yeah. Detroit <laughs> so, we're we're southern know, like, <laughs> southern gentlemen right <laughs> but uh, despite our lack of accents yeah but um, although I have been told 
I say y'all. I think and so y'all, I think that that's the thing. And I, uh, people are like, I'll cut off G's on ING's, so I'll say, like, good morning or something like that. And uh, so sometimes I, uh, it, it slips out periodically. You know yeah. how it goes. Yeah. But, but, uh, but people in the Midwest, you know, I do think that they are generally a kinder group of, of people. Okay. Um, I haven't but, spent that much time there, so I, I can't really say. And, and, uh, but, but with that, there is like, like in, in, it's kind of the same. I really think the Midwest and the South are very similar where like people try, like always kind of like are like trying to be nice, but you can kind of tell that it's fake, you know, like it's where, and I think that, and that's the vibe that I got with William H. Macy's characters. Like he's like, he's being nice, but like. Like the, it's like, like performative. Yeah, yeah. Like in in the guy that he's trying to sell the car to, like yeah. he's like, dude, you're fucking me over. Like yeah. he's like and he's like, Oh no, no, yeah. I'm not. And it's like and he's like, No, I can fucking tell like I see right through you, buddy. And yeah. I think that, that I thought that scene was awesome. Cause like yeah. that's like you are one, seeing how terrible of a businessman he is. Two, you're seeing how his niceness does not People can like, see through it. Yeah, some people though. Like I right, said, Francis McDormand is a little too uh, naive. But yeah, well, is she? Well, so here's the other thing: is okay. she naive, or was she? Was she like? Do you think she was? She was like, I I know it's you. So I don't think that she did. I don't think that she had worked out that he was in on it. I think that her initial thought was, this guy had a a car stolen from his lot. So, and I think that. Um, and and that was another. If William, H, I, I felt like if William H Macy had just been like, "Oh, yes, we had a car stolen from the lot," <laughs> then then it would have been fine. I don't know what it, you know, but like that was the thing. Like I said, that was I felt like he had an an off ramp there where he could have said, "Yeah, no, they stole our car." And um, but yeah, so that was the. Uh, I I think that she didn't suspect him, that he was in on it initially, but again. Once he, once, you know, she overcame her naivete, which I think was brought on by that conversation with her high school sweetheart or not sweetheart, high school classmate yeah. who wanted to be her sweetheart. And, um, once then she realized, well, maybe, maybe this guy is being disingenuous. And then of course he drives off and incriminates himself immediately because he's adult. Right. I, um, so, so I, I'm looking up about. Brands McDormand, she's not a method actor. Okay. Which I think makes it impressive. I think I think method acting I have issues with method acting. Okay. I, I think it's unnecessary for like I think if you're a really good actor, you won't you don't need to method act. That's my personal opinion. To me, I don't know. I think it's also impressive. Down. But like uh, like Daniel Day Lewis, for example. He's the one he I like have issues won't with. Won't eat or whatever. Yeah, like he got pneumonia yeah. on the set of Gangsters of New or Gangs of New York yeah. because he uh, refused won't to wear, wear a jacket shoes or whatever. Yeah. yeah, and then he got pneumonia and they had to halt production for like two weeks. Yeah. And then also for Lincoln, he was he was uh, texting the person that played his Abraham Lincoln's wife Mary, right? Mary, Mary Todd, yes. Mary Todd, yeah. So he's texting the the actress that's playing Mary Todd. And he's texting her as if he was Abraham Lincoln, Incredible. and she was like, it, "But like, it's uh, what's her name? I I can't remember. It's her a name. famous actress. I can't remember yeah. either. But but the, but the point is, is like that's 
how method is that? Because you're texting. Abraham Lincoln didn't text. But maybe but like, it's maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe it's just about being in the brain space of of Lincoln and acting in the space that you are in as if Abraham Lincoln were still alive. In, to me, look, if it <laughs> it's what what matters is what comes across on the screen and it worked. I I, I agree it works. I, and I'm not saying Daniel Day-Lewis is a bad actor. It's just like one of those things that I'm like I believe that he I I I just I personally I believe in him. I believe he would be good even without doing that. Maybe but, not. That's his process. Like I said, I got no no problem with yeah. it. I but, think that uh, you do what you got to do. And if it, you know, the ends justify the means. If it's a banger performance, then it is what it is. Yeah. But so, Frances Dormant, um, she, oh man, I'm trying to look up her, who she went best actress against. Sally Field is the one who played Mary Todd Lincoln. Ah, uh, okay. In that film. Frances McDormand. Yes. Yeah, so she went, um, the, the name that she beat out was Diane Keaton okay. from Marvin's room. I don't know. And maybe this is, people are going to laugh at us and write us off, but I don't know. Kristen Scott Thomas. I do know the English patient as a movie. That's who she was nominated for. Um, never heard of Secrets and Lies, where Brenda Blethen was nominated, and Emily Watson was nominated for Breaking the Waves. Okay, yeah, I mostly yeah. don't know who these people are either. They're but, English, it seems like, so I'm glad that uh, glad we're not taking them very seriously. Yeah. I also, Frances McDormand has now won, I said she won three Oscars. She's won three Oscars for Best Actress, but she's won four Oscars because she was a, she was the producer of Nomadland. Oh, interesting. And so the producer is the one that accepts best the picture. Best Picture, so... I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, so there you go. She's got four four Oscars. So let's talk about Almost Famous. That's... So Almost Famous is interest. I think it's interesting in a lot of ways. I love Almost Famous. I per- personally think it's perfect. But Willie, we can talk about that. But um, I think it's pretty good. Okay. But I wouldn't say Frances McDormand is the main character. Not at all. And she won, or she was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. However, I mean, she's good. The, the Amazon, she is. She's great in it. But Amazon paints it as if she's the main character. Really? When you, the description on Amazon is Elaine Miller is a bright, loving, but strict single parent whose distrust of rock music and fears about drug use have helped to drive a wedge between herself and her two children, Anita and William. It definitely that's, sort of sounds like she's the main character. Yeah, that's yeah. weird. And and so, so yeah. So I mean, is I I I had I had always known that she was like you know the just the she played the mom, but but she also is probably in my opinion the best part of the movie. I think I don't I I uh, I, okay. th- I I think that she is uh, like all of her scenes her are the most compelling. Like they're the but I, but I do. Where we disagree, I like the main character. I like um, William. Yeah, I think he's an irritating kid. There's a scene in the beginning where they're like, they call him Narc at school, and uh, yeah, he's a narc. He's a nerd. I didn't like him at all. I thought he was unlikable and irritating. And I think that the guy who plays him is terrible. I think Oof. I think his performance is almost unwatchably bad. Really? I thought I thought he was just awful. Why? I thought he just like is unnatural. I don't it feels like he's just reading the lines. It doesn't feel like he's acting at all. The scene where he says, 
what am I to you? What am I to you is one of the worst acted scenes I've ever seen in a movie. Oh, I disagree. So, so I, so I personally, I felt like all of that was like a choice because he doesn't fit in. He's fucking 15. He is 15 years old and he is on tour with a big rock band writing a piece for the Rolling Stone for Rolling Stone magazine. Like he is so out of his element, but he's smart. Like that's why he's there is he's intelligent and he got to be there, but he does not fit in. He does not fit in at all. This is not his world. He's, he is a nerd. He's a nerdy kid that like, maybe he's a narc. I I, I didn't really see him be much of a narc, you know, it like, when I was 15, I was scared of drugs. I was scared of vets. You know, I was scared of all of the things that a 15-year-old, I think, would be scared of. So, like, I, if I was 15 and went on a tour with, like, one of the most, the hottest up-and-coming bands, I have no idea. Like, I feel like I would act like him. I'd be like, I'm afraid to drink. I'm afraid to do drugs. That's what they're doing. They're drinking and doing drugs, and that's wild and having sex and are cheating on their wives like like and girlfriends like all of that would be off-putting like yeah. and, and and i think that if i was 15 i would probably look at that and be like oh they're bad people like they're but he is trying to like he's like trying to connect with them as a like maybe as a fan maybe as like a this is who i have around me like i'm just i want to build some kind of safe space to be comfortable in and uh and so he's trying to connect with them and so he sees like that this band despite their flaws despite their maybe their addictions or whatever he he sees that they are capable of being good people and they accept him like, i mean they they care about him to a degree um as much i don't think as, they do at all i don't think they like him at all i I think that they, and the, the entire thing is predicated on him. The, their, their entire relationship is predicated on him helping them. And then when they, he can't help anymore, they lie and say that he's, that he uh, didn't write a true story when, it, when it's all true because it lo- makes him look bad. I, I don't think that the, any of them like him and Russell only gets tricked into liking him. I, well, maybe that was a poor choice of words. Um, I think that they, I think they see him as like a we're going to make you one of our own kind of guy. Like I But the thing is that like that's predicated exclusively on them on him writing a puff piece about them that will help their career and make them more money. Oh, oh, I I agree so, that like, they're shallow. They want to help him, but like I said it's it's not not because they're good people because they think they can use him to to further their career. I I agree with that. But I I I guess I like him. <laughs> Maybe just don't I'm normally pretty cynical, but I feel like in this moment, I like just, I, I feel I, like this movie is extremely cynical. It, it is, it is. But I, but I think that the, the people within it, I, I think that I, I believe everybody has a good side to them. Okay. Every, everybody in the world. Like, I mean, well, not, that's not true. I mean, there are some people that are just straight up evil, but you know, there, I think most people have some kind of ability to be compassionate and I think that that is what he's trying to tap into because he was told by Philip Seymour Hoffman that these guys are fake. They're not going to be your friends. They don't like you. And, and he was right. Like, I mean, like that's what happened. But I think that he is aware that everybody has this 
side to them. Like, Philip Seymour Hoffman is very nice to him, despite kind of being rude to him at first. But that's but, that is, is that it's true. Right. But, is that he, he gives him the, the real advice. Philip Seymour Hoffman is the best character in the movie. Oh, for, that's, that's my favorite character. Oh. I would say that he's better than Francis McDormand. RIP to Big Philip, because, man, I love everything that that guy does. I, I've... I've only really seen him in like a handful of things but and because uh, i i don't know i as a kid i i it didn't know actors i just didn't know their names sure and i knew will ferrell and adam sandler and that was pretty much it the big two the yeah sort of when you think of acting yeah that's yeah that's who you think of but um yeah he's great his dialogue is great i i he was my favorite part of the movie the the scene at the end where it all wraps up and he says you know he talks about being uncool that is the best scene in the entire movie i think Okay. And it was legitimately moving, and I—that's—that was my favorite part. Was that okay? And I think that the scenes with him in it are by far the most compelling. And I, I liked his character. I thought a lot more than than uh, Francis McDormand. Well, Francis McDormand, and also that annoying kid, William. I do like. I I get that he is annoying, but I don't think that I think that is his character. I I, I don't think. And I guess That's I, fair. I, like I said, like, I just, I just couldn't, I just, I just, every time I just was like, uh, I just found, I just found him to be irritating and, gr- and grating. He, he is irritating. Yeah. But like, that's what a 15 year old kid in a man's world would be, you know, like that's, if you had it right now, if you had to work with a 15 year old kid, would that not be annoying? <laughs> like that probably kid, would that, be a little irritating. Yeah. You'd, you have to act like some kind of parent in some way to this kid because you got to teach him how to do everything or and or how to act and how to behave and shit like that it's annoying but like i think that that's the point i i i and i think that's part of his you know i think that that's part of his character development is that he like he over the course he he believes in the good of people and then he like gets fucked over and then he's like oh shit like people like it doesn't matter it doesn't matter how hard i tried to connect with these people and and find their good goodness in them and get them to to show it all the time and, and to be that like i think he was trying to like you know especially with russell right like he was trying to it was like russell is a good person but he's like stopping himself from being a good person he's he's his own worst enemy and he's like i just want to tap into this and make him realize that he's good and, and to always be that way. And yeah, I mean, eventually that is kind of what comes around. There's a, the ending confused me a little bit okay. because Russell goes to his house thinking it's Penny Lane's house. Um, and that he's meeting, Penny, he's going to meet Penny Lane. Um, and, well, it, did you see the scene? Uh, so I watched the theatrical version. I own Almost Famous, and okay. I and I or, or not the theatrical, the director's cut. I own Almost Famous, and that's the only cut I have. So oh, okay. it doesn't have the theatrical one, and I didn't know that. I because because I always thought Almost Famous was long. I thought it was like two hours and forty minutes, which is. And then I, lo- I saw in Letterbox, it was like just over. It was like one hundred twenty-one minutes or something. Yeah. I'm like. That's not almost like that's wrong. And then I looked at the cover and it says the bootleg edition. Oh, uh, there you go. I was like, ah, okay. So I have this. So I don't know what I saw that you didn't see. The scene where he that that happens in okay the cut I saw. I don't know if there's anything added, but yeah, he comes back and he finally sits down for the interview with William, where they he you know he bears his soul about what it means to be a musician or whatever. Right. That's like the last scene of the movie. Yes, but in that he admits that 
so he, th- this is the part that confused me. He goes there not expecting that, not yeah. expecting to see William, not expecting to talk to him. Clearly was thrown off by that. But before he did that, he called Rolling Stone and said that everything in the movie or, yeah. or, or everything that, that he wrote that was, he wrote was, was true. true. So that means so he did. So he's he like he, when after they're on the plane, he tells him to write the truth. Yeah. So there's that. So I think already he's starting to like when it all is said and done, I think he's starting to realize that the band's success is less important than like being, uh, you know, real. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing is that there's a scene where Sapphire, the band aid who is the, I, I hated the band aid thing. We'll talk about that, but I hated that. Um, and the Sapphire is the band aid who says like, um, she like guilts him into it. And it's like, everyone knows what you did. Everyone knows that you screwed him over. Everyone knows that what he said is true and that you threw him under the bus because you're a dickhead. And I think that that also impacts his willingness and in the moment to be truthful and real with William. I, but, but that's the thing The and that makes sense. I just wouldn't have, like at that moment, I just wouldn't have expected that that version of Russell at that moment of time would have already called Rolling Stone. Yeah, I think it's and yeah, like I it's would a have fair a, a fair thing to to question. Yeah, like I, I just feel like maybe after the conversation with William, after the interview, he'll be like, "I'll call Rolling Stone right now." And maybe you have, maybe there you show that you're like, "I'll do it right now." Just show you that I'm being yeah. real, like you know, to earn your trust. I or think it's whatever. fair, sure, but um. But yeah, I I I really liked liked it. It's also got some uh it's got an homage to Kevin Smith. Oh, it does it. it? There you go. Yep. So Kevin Smith and Cameron Crowe are somewhat friends, I guess. Um friends enough to for Cameron Crowe to steal something from Kevin Smith's failed second movie. Um because okay. Mallrats. So Kevin Smith wrote the movie Mallrats. It came out in 95 and it was a flop. It was yeah. a huge flop and it got big like 10 years later but so this movie came out before mall rats had its resurgence um and in mall rats kevin smith has a joke where the main character jason lee uh talks about how uh his cousin told him that like their plane was crashing and he's like in that moment where everybody thought they were going to die. Everybody stands up and just whips out their dicks and starts jacking off. And, and then like, and, and everybody's like, this is what we're doing right before we die. But then the plane corrects itself and everybody sits down and nobody ever talks of it again. And so, so Cameron Crowe had the, the, a similar thing with the, with the drummer who never said anything, his own, his silent Bob, if you will. Right. Um, when the plane's crashing, he gets up and he tells everybody, he's like, I'm gay. And then, and then the plane corrects itself. And then, and then it's like, okay, well, we're just going to all ignore that. We're not going to, we're not going to pretend anything. I kind of wasn't a fan of that joke. I felt like it was like a really serious scene where they're all bearing their soul and it, the band is coming apart and they can't handle fame. And then you just get this guy who says I'm gay. It's like, all right, I, I, okay, I guess (laughs) I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really feel like that landed and I felt like it took away from the seriousness of the scene and the entire thematic point is that becoming famous is hard and that it, 
you know, it's battling egos and there's all of these things at play in these personal relationships and people can't get out of their own ways. And then you just have this guy go, Oh, I'm gay. Well, I was like, okay, I don't know. Like I said, I just, I didn't think that that was. That's that fair. Funny. I think maybe I just, maybe if I didn't know that this was like an homage to Kevin Smith, okay. <laughs> maybe, maybe I would think differently. Cause I just, you know, as this podcast knows, I A love big Kevin fan. Smith, yeah. big, big Kevin Smith fan. Um, but yeah, so, so yeah, so I, I thought, I thought that was funny, but I did know ahead of time that that was a, cause I've seen this movie before. Sure. So I knew, and I don't remember what I thought the first time. Mm hmm. I probably was just immature and would have been like, that's funny. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so, so, so you didn't, okay. So what did you, what, so you like Philip Seymour Hoffman? Yeah. I think he was really the best part. I like him. I like Zoe Deschanel. I, I, I did like Francis McDormand's performance, although it's a little, I feel like it doesn't really quite land. I'm not exactly sure what you're supposed to take in terms of like her character, where you're supposed to take from it and their relationship and whether or not she's right or wrong in her thing. It feels a little muddy and awkwardly written in terms of like how her character is like meant to be interpreted. I I guess, I guess I felt like she had good intentions, but is, is ultimately a little over eager, but like, and I feel like she does, you never quite nail down like why she allows certain things like, cause in the, it's implied that she won't even listen to Simon and Garfunkel. She won't even let them, cause she has to sneak Simon and Garfunkel into the house and then something happens but at and that, you don't see what happens. And then he's allowed to go on tour with a rock band. But in like, what happened? Well, well th- that is, that's a big difference. Simon and Garfunkel is like folk music. Yeah. That's but it's not like but Judas it, Priest. You're, you're right. But at that time it was the rebellious music. Sure. Like it was so... I like I I get I get that like like and, but to me it's like if you're not allowed why why if you're not allowed to listen to Simon and Garfunkel are you allowed to go with this band which is like a stand-in for Led Zeppelin or whatever um or some other band you know regardless it's like I said uh, I think I I read the Camera Crow toured pretty extensively with Yes so maybe it's meant to be a stand-in for Yes I th- I think because they mentioned Led Zeppelin well, Led Zeppelin was already huge at that time yeah. So but he tore one... he toured with Zeppelin as well, I believe. Oh wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, I actually I actually don't know much about Cameron Crow. He this is this was all this all happened to him. Really? Yeah, this is like autobiographical. All that stuff happened to him. He was a young kid who went on tour with with yeah. Seriously? Yeah, and well, he wrote that's... Rolling Stone. Yeah, Ben Fong Torres, real guy. Well, yeah. then how can how can it? Cream Magazine <laughs> he probably is was real. The annoying kid. <laughs> Lester Bangs is real. Yeah, I, I did know. I did know Cream Magazine was real. Yeah, it's all basically everything is real except for Stillwater. Yeah, and William okay. Miller, who is a stand-in for, for Cameron Crow, the, the director. I, I had no idea about that. Yeah, fucking, you learn something new every day. Yes, I, I, wow. Well, so then, so, so then that may, that makes me like it even more, though. Yeah, that makes me think that this is probably like even more exactly what it's like and what it's supposed to be and 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 true to his story i like, mean it probably is real like i said i don't know i just i like, just i just felt like it didn't quite land in terms of what i i didn't feel like anybody in the movie really likes music i didn't feel like that was ever really dealt with very well the way it's it's more about touring than about music to me well i i think that that is which the is point. i mean yeah like i yeah. said and, and at this point we're getting into the what's it fair <laughs> to criticize it about but like right. 
I, I it feels like it was trying to me to be like about the beauty of rock and roll and the fans or whatever. I don't feel like it quite got there. I um, but like I said, maybe it, maybe I, it, it's it's entirely possible that like I just didn't get it and this just isn't for me. And uh, fair enough. I so I wanted to talk about Francis McDormand though, and you were talking about how you didn't feel like that character really landed for you, and I would like to uh, do my counter okay. to that. Um, so. You know, my uh, like my my mom on the podcast. I'll say it. We didn't have the greatest of relationships. We had some rocky moments, but my parents, in general, were pretty strict and and pr- pretty limited. Like, really, try to shelter me and my brother. And uh, and I ultimately think that that probably played a larger role than uh, they care to admit or think about into into our our budding alcoholism that that showed as early as it did um but in and in our rebellious natures um so so for that i really related to like zoe deschanel's character and like her relationship with her mom where her mom's just like you know so controlling and so like this is this is wrong you're not allowed to do this you're not allowed and as soon as she's 18 she's like fuck it i'm leaving like mm-hmm. i don't have to be here and then and like i did that in a less intense dramatic way but i mean when i was 19 i was like fuck you guys i'm moving to colorado and i left and i moved away and and so like i think that i think that the reason i like francis mcdormand so much in this is because like i just saw like a hollywood version of my own parents sure and okay. this, like and and their their strict and controlling natures that you know is is not i mean they're not like that and i in, entirely but you know but like this like i don't like, want to shit on my parents on the podcast no but no no that's yeah. kind of what but but so so i think that i just i thought she did a really great job of of playing that like i'm going to con- try to control so much that i put that you are pushed away and that you feel like you have to leave and get the fuck out. But that's and the thing is I didn't, he likes his mom. But, he doesn't rebel against her. That doesn't really have anything to do with her. He, she's just needy, but yes. But so, so that I would like to draw the parallel. Like my brother was more like that. Like my, my, my younger, like I was the one that was very open rebellion where my brother was like silent rebellion. He was like nice to your face. Love them. Like my brother was more manipulative than William. William, I think really cares, but I think William's character is like torn between. I don't this. know that your brother will appreciate being called manipulative. No, no, I, I, he, I'm not like, he's not genuinely manipulative now as like a person, but I mean like we were both manipulative kids to our parents when we were in high school. That's okay. Just, that's just facts, you know, but, but, my, like, my brother learned from my mistakes. He was like, oh, I'll... Jack is openly rebellion. That's a bad idea. Don't do that. Be nice. Be engaged. Then do what I want on the side. Earn their trust. Which I didn't do. But William, I think, really does care about his... Like, William really does care about his mom, but also realizes that he pushed... Or that she is the reason that his sister left. And, like, his sister was cool. His sister liked him, like, and he, I think... I, it's so, implied that he disagreed with his sister. At the time, but, like, like at that moment, because he was, what, 11? Like, but he was, like, an 11-year-old... When he's year talking old. to Russell in Topeka at the party, he says that, 
I don't know why we can't just work everything out. So I think that even then it's implied that he disagreed with his sister still. But he was 15. Like, I mean, like he's, I, I think that that's all part of him. Like he is like learning. Being he's, a he, narc annoying dork. Well, sure. But you know, like if you're, if, if we had some kid in our grade, that was like four years fucking younger than everybody else. He would have been made fun of. He would have, I mean, that's just the nature of people. And then that, like, when you're made fun of and you're bullied, like, that pushes you to act certain ways. Like, you're like, oh, well, the I can't ever physically topple you. You know, what I can do is I can... I can rat you out. Like I can get you in trouble because that's the only, that's the only defense he has. You know I mean? Like, and that's, I mean, we had people in our grade that were like that. Like that's just, that's Narcs, just, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's just childhood. I wouldn't know if anything you, about that. I know rat. Yeah. I mean, you were the one bullying. Them. Of <laughs> course. Dunking people's heads into toilets, stealing lunch money. No question. No question. <laughs> but so, so that I, I think it's just, I think that this is just a perfect representation of like, of that kid of like, this is what it's like to be the, the, the little man. And what does the little man have to do to, to, to prove that he's got value in this world. And the little man gets to go on tour with the big fucking band, which is like cool. I think like, like if anybody in his high school class knew he was touring with Stillwater, they would probably not call him a narc. <laughs> They'd probably be like, Oh shit this kid's cool, you know, like, and he, or like that, that is that's cool. like one of the things is that like, I don't know at what point you ever get why this kid likes rock and roll at all. I, I, and I that's think, like, that's, and do. that's the, the whole, like I said, I don't, I don't see but him his... ever really. And I don't think, like I said, anyone really talks about why they like music in the movie. And that's like, so it's like, well, it's like, why is he here? Why does he like this? So because Zoe Deschanel left him her records. And like, that was like, he got to finally see her side of things. Because he was a narking little nerdy dork kid. And then she leaves, but she leaves him his records because she believes that he could be cooler. And she's like, this will, this is stuff that will change your life but i think it's then it's not shown but i think that's what i'm saying the only thing that's shown is that he listens to them he does you don't even see him headbanging or enjoying humming nodding along all we know is that he listened to them yeah but but i don't know what does he connect with what does he like what does he like about stillwater what does he like about any of these bands but then what does he like about music and if he he's not rebellious we know that he likes his mom still you know, I don't, it's not the movie. He's not rebelling against his mom. So like, I don't like, he's I said, rebelling against everybody that was, that was mean to him. Though. No one was mean to him. Who was ever mean to him? Everybody called him a narc at school, but that's not even shown. And that's, and you don't connect any of that to him. Like I have, I like I said, it. this is, I, I don't know. I just can't, like, I can't just imagine that this happened off screen. Like I said, this is like, it's like the in Fargo. I like, this is like so much connection that, like I said, I just, I just can't make, I just, I just feel like it's not shown. I feel like I can't put all that together. I feel like I can't watch that and, and get that from this man. You gotta, you gotta explain that. You gotta, I guess I'm listen, a hater. Like you gotta I said, listen to that Jimi Hendrix album in like, it's the who so, it's Tommy or the who. Yeah. You gotta listen to Tommy and light a candle and it'll change. Like it'll I change. said, I just, I couldn't, Oh, and that's another thing. The Band-Aids, there's this, it makes a big point. The Band-Aids aren't sluts there. They love the band. Not true at all. 
At no point does any Band-Aid ever talk about music. Sapphire has one line at the very end. At no point do they ever talk about music. At no point do they ever say we like, like I said, there's lines where they say we like music, but you never, it's never shown. It's never shown why any of them like music. Um, and then they say we don't sleep with the band, which is not true. They all do immediately, every single one of them. And, uh, and then what you get, you get a line of dialogue from uh, Kate Hudson, where she says, "Famous people are more interesting." That's the entire, that's the entire thing. She just wants to find a rich, famous guy because that's cooler than, you know. She's too sad to live in the real life, and, and like that. That was one of the least successful parts of the movie to me. The band aids thing. I, I I didn't like that at all. I will, I will cede to that opinion. Like I I I get that. I get that. I I uh, I personally view that as they are not simply just trying to sleep with the band which is i think what they're trying to say the difference between band-aids and groupies are because i think that they're also connecting with the band on a on a like an emotional level which you get between penny and russell like you see that with them that like but i mean they're dating it's not really about music right they're yeah, just like yeah. no it, but i i i guess in my head i I think uh, like and I assume like, that that's how they just justified it. And that's the thing but, is like is like I don't, I I I don't feel like I can assume that if you're not if you're not going to do the work, I don't know why I have to assume that this is good if you're not going to show it, you're not going to write dialogue about it, you're not going to depict it on screen. It's like and so now the work is on me to assume that you wrote a good movie when you didn't. And like that's where it, this like loses me. You, I, I feel like you have to assume a lot about what's happening on screen and without him ever showing it. So, like I said, I like I just I just couldn't get behind it. I don't know. I just it just didn't land for me. Other than Lester Bangs, who is great, and I would have loved to have seen him go on tour and actually write about stuff. That's the other thing is like all of the good ideas he has. Lester Bangs just feeds him over the phone. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. But that's learning. I mean, you gotta you gotta be told how to do it. He's fucking fifteen, you know. Like, you think that fifteen year old guy's gonna come up with all the great ideas to write for Rolling Stone? No. Then why'd you hire he's, him? He's gonna get some because he got help. Hire because Lester he, Banks. Yeah, then. but Lester Banks doesn't want to write for Rolling Stone. Lester Banks has green because it's destroying rock and roll. Exactly. Exactly. So he's like, if I can put a protege that's not in thought. to do the. <laughs> No, he sees he sees himself in the kid, right? Like yeah. I said, he sees the ambition, the want. He's got the drive, the rock and roll drive. Something like he cares that. about rock and roll. It's like I said, something like that. So, any other thoughts on all this? <laughs> like I said, um, I feel like I trashed it a lot. I actually do think it's it's pretty good. I think that it's reasonably entertaining. The the songs are great. Um, I think that it's, uh, you know, uh, I think a very cynical look at what it's like to be on tour in a band and about how fame and money change people or whatever. I think that a lot of what it's trying to do, I don't think it quite succeeds at, but I think that overall, like I said, I, I just want to be clear that like, I didn't hate it. I think, I think it's a pretty good movie. Okay. And but like I said, I held it to a high standard and I didn't think it met that standard. And that's why it seems like I'm talking a lot of trash about it. It is fun. And it has a number of touching moments. I like when they sing Tiny Dancer in the Bus. That's That to me is the, the purest form of music brings us all together that the movie shows. It's, pr it's probably the only moment, I think, where they express that music is a thing that we all love. 
Yeah. Um, I, I guess I, I, I guess the thing is, is I didn't go into this thinking it was going to be a mu- movie about music. Like I, I look at things kind of like relationships first. And I guess like, and, and so that was, to me, it felt like that was the point, I guess. Yeah. As they talk about music and you get these philosophical things about what is rock and roll and, uh, it felt like, okay, well, what is rock and roll? And then they like, like I said, and then it feels like it's introduced. And then maybe, maybe it's just a one-off line. And you're just supposed to not think about it. But, <laughs> I, but I felt like that's like the point. That's the musician in you. Yeah, I guess so. So, so, uh, but you know, we, we were in a band. It's true. We were, we in went a band. on tour just like that. <laughs> exact same situation. Man, I wish. <laughs> that would have been, been sick. We got fucked over a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of promoters that, it didn't show or didn't do any work. Oh, we'd I have wanted one to talk about person. that. I wanted yeah. to talk about Jimmy Fallon as the, I thought that was a terrible cast. I, I hated Jimmy Fallon in that role. I did not think he was a very good, like, cause he's a sleazeball. He's not, he's not supposed to be a, or he is supposed to be a sleazeball and Jimmy, it doesn't come across at all. He looks super awkward and goofy in the period costumes. Um, and I think his lines are not delivered that well. I don't think he's a particularly good actor. I thought he was, really bad i and i like i said not just in terms of his performance which is bad but also the casting was just not good i I did not like him at all yeah i i'm not a big jimmy fallon fan i there's there's one movie ever that i've seen jimmy fallon in that i've liked and that's fever pitch oh it's not the taxi movie with queen latifah I, don't, I, I saw that in theaters, but I don't, I don't remember anything about it. Yeah. Imagine sort of the best movie you've ever seen and then double it. And that's <laughs> the Queen Latifah taxi fast and the furious ripoff with Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. I, Jimmy Fallon, I think is like notorious. Like the, 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 you know, I'm not beefing with Jimmy Fallon. Me neither. Yeah. But, I, just, but, I just don't think he's that good of an actor. Yeah. But like on SNL, when he was on SNL, like he was, he was like known for not being able to like keep it together doing, during his skits. Yeah. Like he like would break and laugh all the time and like yeah. straight up ruin the skit. Like, yeah. I mean, it made it funny to watch. Like it was hysterical watching him not be able to do his job, but, but it's like, like that was his job. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, um, but yeah, so so I, I I do like Fever Pitch. Okay. I think that's a good movie. And and even though I'm not, I hate the Red Sox, it's it's a good movie. You know, Boston We're, sports man. Not yeah, you know, we gotta we gotta team up against them. <laughs> well, you know, in their defense, I'm gonna defend Boston sports. They man. sucked for so long, for so long, and then they got Tom Brady. Well, and that's then just after- the Patriots. The Celtics are all world. I, uh, the Celtics I guess are true. like perhaps yeah, yeah, the yeah, best franchise in the history of the sport. That's true. I kind of forgot about it. Depending that. on the way you I look was, at it. And then the Red Sox are I was just thinking football and legendary baseball. as well. I mean, they didn't win a World Series, but they're still good. And and then But, and but the, that I think plays a factor into in the post twenty yeah, they didn't win a World Series like eighty something years. Yeah, they've been legendary as well. A but like, legendary, but really good. Yeah. But like they, that came off the heels of the, I think the Patriots winning three Super Bowls. Yeah. And the and, other and thing then, and then the Red Sox finally won. The other thing that two Super Bowls that I mean. you have to understand is that they deserve it. They deserve to have bad things happen to them because Boston is a city with a lot of sort of racial animus and I guess maybe we should cut this out. I probably shouldn't trash the entire city of Boston. <laughs> no. Well, I they, they they are known for that. Bill, uh, fuck, what's the guy? Who's the, the Burr? Bill Burr? B- no, Bill Russell. Bill Russell, the basketball player, okay. Bill Russell. Bill Russell was a star, you know, 
but like the, he was an all-time goat. Yeah, yeah, the but, winningest yeah. player in the history of the sport. Still, in, currently, in, in terms of rings. I okay, okay. He so he when he went to I, I read one of my friends recommended I think it was an autobiography of him and I I didn't I didn't read it but I read passages from it online and um I guess Bill Russell when he you know was drafted by the Celtics went to the Celtics and you know he's like the best thing that ever happened to the Celtics at that moment in time and um the they wouldn't let him like rent a place in Boston. Yeah, he had to like, like they like they were like, no, like you can go be with like the black community and like the outside of Boston, I guess. Like in Boston they didn't really have a lot of black people living in Boston. And and he was like, you know, fine, fuck it. Like I'll I'll show you on the court that yeah. like and and he was a baller. I mean he was yeah. he's one of the greatest players of all time. And and like the city fucking hated him and like just because he's black so like that's that sucks that's so yeah i mean like fuck boston and mark Wahlberg, who we're beefing with yeah he's from boston you know fuck, I mean, yeah sorry boston he's racist he's racist against several types of people he is there he is <laughs> so now so there we, you go okay now, now we talked talked race a little trash about boston uh, sure any uh i think uh, are we I think we're wrapped up i think we're about done yeah. i think francois mcdormand the star of the pod you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna say it. Good, very good, good actress. First, first very a- talented. I don't know. if She's the first actress to do it, but she um has won the. She basically has the. What do they call it? The, the triple crown. The triple crown of acting, where she's got now four Academy Awards, three for acting, two Golden Globes, three BAFTA awards, two Primetime Emmys, and a Tony. Yeah. <laughs> so like. I mean, she's the 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 triple crown is the Academy Emmy and Tony, but I mean, she's got more awards I mean, on awards. Yeah, she's, she's not the BAFTA dude. Who cares about English people? The BAFTAs are racist. You know what I learned about the BAFTAs recently? What are we are we going to cancel the BAFTAs oh, right now? Yes, on the show. Yes, they're no longer going to be a thing. Yes, let's do it. Denzel Washington has never been nominated for a BAFTA. Serious? Never what? been nominated. What? Not not even once. Denzel. Perhaps America's greatest living actor, never oh been my, nominated. Oh my god, that's crazy! All right, Baftas, you're done. They're done. You're done. We're finished. Yeah. And you know what? You think I'd that like there's going to gonna be a 2022 Bafta? There I'd, isn't. I'd like to expand this. England? No way. We're done with you. Too close to Boston. <laughs> Got a monarchy which we don't understand. I'm watching The Crown to try and learn, but I still don't get it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, not a fan. Not a fan of the country of England. They're done. Australia, just know you're in hot water. For now, for now, you're good, but you're in hot no, no, water. No, no, no. Australia is cool though. It's the the New Zealand is cool. Australia is is whack. But but, but Australia is cool because it's like they're like oh we're Britain. And we're gonna put all of our criminals over here on this island, and uh, and then they're like, "Let's fucking rule, bitch!" And then they took it back. They like we're like, "Fuck you, England!" Like very very recently. That was a long I time mean, ago. And what they have now is like inhospitable desert with with 
like spiders and lizards, even worse than Florida. Some of the deadliest snakes. Snakes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So not like I said, but that's the thing. They're on thin ice. Kangaroo Jack, man. They're on Kangaroo thin ice, motherfucking which is Jack. a terrible movie. Fucking fantastic. And did you know there's a sequel? I oh, didn't know. That. Hold on. We should watch. Okay. Are you familiar with like the marketing scam of Kangaroo Jack? Do you know that gag that like they Kangaroo Jack is like was marketed as basically a completely different movie? I did know that. Well, so it was filmed as a completely different movie. The, yeah. the movie was filmed with no intention of there being a kangaroo. Yeah. It was supposed to be like this, this crime movie. Yeah. And then they like later put in the CGI fucking yeah. kangaroo. And then they did like a couple of reshoots to accommodate that. Yeah. But yeah, it was not. It was the only, cause that uh, it was like, it was the supposed only to be like a thing. rated R yeah. crime movie. The only thing that focus tested well was the kangaroo. And so they're like, it was used heavily in the, in the trailer. In the trailer and promotional materials, even though it's, like you said, basically not included at all. We should watch Kangaroo. We should do, at some point I don't in time. know why. I don't, <laughs> don't want to watch Kangaroo <laughs> Jack, and I don't like Australia. <laughs> I don't want to do that. I'm going to make you at some point. We're going to do it. Maybe. I don't know why. I don't Like I said, I don't know. It's not good. <laughs> it's stupid. I, I used to love that as a kid. I haven't seen it since then. There but you like, go. No, leave it in the past. It's fine. Leave Australia. Like I said, Australia is on thin ice. We'll, we'll, we'll go along for now. But yeah, the country of England. Yeah, we're, we're, we're done with England. Okay. <laughs> All right. So coming up next, we're doing Coen Brothers. We're going to watch uh, Barton Fink, which I've never seen. The only movie, I guess, that we have not seen. Uh, together, then we're going to watch Big Lebowski, and we're going to watch No Country for Old Men. Um, t- those two, I think, are fucking fantastic. So I'm I've heard re- good things. Really excited about that. And then also, we're going to watch the A Quiet Place movies. Um, so next week, you're. I keep saying you're going to get two pods, and then like we only did that one week, and we were supposed to do it this week, yeah. and then we didn't time schedule. We'll you know, it happens. But this next week, we're going to do it. Have you seen A Quiet Place? Yes. Okay, cool. Um, did you, So I rewatched it last night. Guess what I learned? What? Do you know who one of the producers was? Let me guess. One of the producers was... Hang on. Hang on. I'm going to come up with a really good guess here. It's going to be a really funny joke. Oh, just tell me. Whatever. Michael Bay. <laughs> Michael Bay. There you go. I. He's attached. He attached himself to that Texas Chainsaw remake that wasn't too bad. Yeah. So, I, but but he, he but, has some background in horror. But the Texas Chainsaw remake very much fit the bill for Michael Bay stuff, where he's like, girls always have to be in like wet, sopping true. wet clothes, yeah. and like where this, I just think it's funny. Because, like, John Krasinski, like, Emily Blunt's his wife. Yeah. And, like, I like, like, that scene where she steps on, like, the, the nail mm-hmm. and goes through her foot. Like, I just imagine Michael Bay's like, okay, what if at this moment we pan up, you see her skirt, and then you see her, like, kind of how, like, you know how, like, when you're, like, hurt, it can kind of look sexy? Yeah. Like, let's have one of those. And John Krasinski's like, that's my fucking wife? No. 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 <laughs> and he's like, okay, okay, well, I what f- if we have, like... I feel like producer is a role <laughs> where, like... Sometimes they do stuff, and then sometimes it's like, I gave you a million dollars, and so now I get to be a producer. Yeah, I mean, so, that that is, there are producers that are creatively involved. There's the, the so, so it's always hard to tell, like, yeah. what to what extent a producer actually did anything. No, yeah. But, I mean, like, normally producers are the ones that, I mean, they control the finances of the movie. So if you're like, 
going, if you're like, hey, if you're the director and you're like, I want this scene to be in the movie, it's crucial. The producer can be like, no, yeah. you're, I'm not going to let you film it. Um, like we don't have them. We're not going to allocate the funds to that. So like the directors and the producers are they're not at necessarily war. normally at, at odds, but they the, the director has to fight for what they want. And the producer is the one. The producer should be your best friend. They're the one that don't let the directors cuts the garbage out. Look, directors are like I said. Directors are egomaniacs who think that their creative vision is the word of God, and they need to be brought to heel because they are babies. Fuck you, <laughs> for the most part. I thought you wanted to be a producer so that you could bring them to heel. No, I want to be a director. Oh, well, I'll be your producer, and I'll tell you that everything you do is trash. <laughs> I'm not going to let you be my producer because <laughs> <laughs> I have to be the star. Of course, I can't be the star and the producer. I guess I can. Yeah, you can't. Okay. Francis McDormand did. Okay, well then I'll do both. But I just won't let you put money into it. I'll do both. <laughs> I'll be like, you'll just get paid. Um. So yeah. So that's that's what we got coming up uh, next week, and then the week <laughs> after that, we're gonna watch the Conjuring franchise. I'm excited for that. So, actually, I'm so excited. I'm yeah. so excited. Um, Conjuring one and two, I think, are like some of the best horror movies set yeah. just just in general. Um, and even though everything they put out in that universe since then, being the Annabelle trilogy. And The Nun and The Curse of La Llorona. I thought all five of those movies were hot garbage. Um, And so, you know, I was talking with friend of the pod, Matt Morales, yesterday. And he was like, so you can see why I'm hesitant to believe that this one would be good, considering it's so far removed from the previous Conjuring movie. And I'm like... I get what you're saying. But the main Conjuring but, movies have been pretty solid. So. Exactly. but I, And that was my argument. So I'm like, I'm going in with blind optimism that it's going to be awesome. And I look forward to it. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, and that comes out next Thursday. Fuck. Maybe we just, maybe we just do a few pods next week. We'll just knock it all out. i got to watch a lot of movies. Yeah. Well, I mean, it really is just five movies and two in the theater, you know? Okay. We're seeing A Quiet Place 2 tomorrow, you know? Well, Conjuring comes out on Thursday. We could watch that premiere, you know. Wow. Okay. And we could do, we could do, you know, we're going to do the, this pod. We're going to do the Coens on Sunday. Do the Quiet Place one on Tuesday. Do the Conjuring on Thursday or Friday. Well, Friday. Okay. Are you going to approve of this? I mean, yeah. Let's, it's approved. Yeah. It's on the pod. There you go. The we producer. Yeah, the producer All yeah, right. has approved it. Yeah. Well, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get three pods next week. Okay. And then, and, then, and then we're going to be on a more normal pace from then on. But we'll finally get caught up. Yeah. So, everybody, thank you so much. And you know what? Have a good afternoon. Yeah. Or morning. Afternoon. Afternoon. If you're watching this, uh, listening in the morning, no way. And it, and we always say good night. If you're watching yeah. this at night, fuck you. I hope it sucks. I yeah. hope your morning is terrible. I hope you're, you accidentally put salt instead of sugar in your coffee. Yeah, and and uh, egg whites instead of creamer. Yes. <laughs> Idiot. All right. Later. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.